As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today... Kane is staying. It's Harivadurchi City, as Daniel Levy says Kane can't. We wave goodbye to that enthralling affair and talk Chelsea-Liverpool, double Deutsch at Anfield, Man City-Arsenal. Mm, Harry would love that. Pep's next step, statues at the Emirates, a cardboard cutout in East London, the Carabao Cup, a flip reverse, and much, much more in this totally football show in association with Paddy Power. Thursday the 26th of August. Uh, hello to you, listener. I'm here with Duncan Alexander. All right, Duncan? Hello, James. Adrian Clark is here too. Lovely to see you, Adrian. Uh, and you guys? And it's a big welcome back for Lindsay Hooper from the Offside Rule and soon Sky Sports WSL coverage. Lindsay. Hello. In fact, right now, because that's where I've come from this morning, is uh, doing the Chelsea Women's Media Day. So it has All begun. Right. What, what happened? Uh, I was speaking to Magdalena Eriksson, the captain. Um, she was talking about the Olympics, um, being in the same squad as Jesse Fleming, who got the gold, and Magdalena got silver. Um, and about being that scalp, I, I was just intrigued, actually, talking to a lot of the players at Chelsea. Now they are the ones that people want to beat and what that has as, as an added extra for them, knowing that for a team like Brighton potentially or or Aston Villa to beat Chelsea that could actually make their season and they're very aware but they, they said they don't want to be too arrogant about it but they feel like they've been that for a while so um, yeah it's it's going to be an interesting season ahead uh, Sky Sports on board and uh, I can't wait to get started. Mm, when's your first game? Third, third of September so there'll be a Friday third night match between Manchester United and Reading and then uh, a big one on the Sunday because it will be Arsenal Chelsea. Right, woof. And now, uh, today is Thursday, the 26th of August. Uh, Happy Harry Kane is staying day, everyone. Remain a beating leave finally in the saga of the Wantaway Spurs star and his prospective move to Man City. He'll be staying uh, at Tottenham, though, after City effectively failed to come back with a a better offer and Daniel Levy effectively won, I think. Uh, Adrian, how's it going to be for Harry kind of wandering back into the the Spurs dressing room after this? I think Harry Kane's got a little bit of making up to do. 
with the supporters. I thought it was a little bit shameless to almost credit the supporters for, for the decision to stay. Because let's face it, if Manchester City had come up with the money, he would have been at Ofsky. So it's, yeah, it's, he said that with a straight face online. So fair play to him. No, I, I, I think that Tottenham fans can no longer, seeing he's one of our own with the same gusto, I would feel a little bit embarrassed to to sing that if I was a Tottenham fan in the short term. Um, it was just handled badly. It was an, an object lesson, really, in how not to force a transfer. You've got to do your due diligence if you go public on wanting to leave. And I think that him and his, his, his brother, who's his advisor, they needed to know. They needed cast-iron guarantees from City that they would be able to, to, to stump up the fee that, that Daniel Levy wanted before going out there and, and and making everything public, and they didn't do that, and they're made to look a little bit silly. It was it was such a half-hearted attempt at rebellion as well when he came back from holiday. It was just just uh, handled so badly, indeed. But a hat trick this weekend against the Hornets, and it all be forgotten, no? Well, it, it could happen, couldn't it? No, good performances and he will be forgiven and and Spurs fans will sing that song, but I just don't think it'll ever feel the same mm-hmm. because that they know that, that they know his true wish was to was to move on from the club. But but look, I love the fact that, that you have these one club men that become absolute legends at at, at their home, but but he put it out there so publicly that he wanted to move on that I think it has cast a shadow on his reputation. He's, he's got to put in a more than one hat-trick, I think, to to win Spurs fans back completely. All right. The move broken down, or why the move broke down, is, is detailed quite nicely in a, a piece today in, in The Athletic, essentially saying that Man City, the offer they made, Daniel Levy was convinced that he could get more for Kane this time next year, or possibly even convince Kane to stay and City had never come back since late July uh, to Tottenham uh, with a better offer which kind of left Harry hanging out to dry. Yeah City have sort of got away with it a little bit in terms of the the blame in some senses um, because as you say 75 million plus an extra 25 is is clearly not enough for Kane but you do wonder you know Guardiola's come out this week and said He'll do this season and next season and that's it. So in that context, having Harry Kane for two years, for him, is ideal. But for City, with all that outlay, with a player that has had injury issues and you know will be 29 next summer, possibly isn't as good. So you, you can almost imagine maybe the, the decision makers at the club were less keen on Kane than, than Pep was. Um, and, and that's how it's ended up. So, But as Adrian mm. said, it's, it's just one of those sort of messy sagas, really. Um, but honestly, for Kane, I think he's got more chance of, you know, if he does want to catch Alan Shearer and become the all-time top scorer, I think if he stayed at Spurs, I think he'd probably get more goals than he would at City. So, so that's No one, one wants to see mob rule, do they? Football mob rule. We don't want it that players demand and can dictate when they leave a club. And so the signing of that contract for Harry Kane was key. But what we don't know is what the conversations were around that contract. And I think what's become apparent from the whole of this saga is that you only go by what's in a contract. You cannot take anything away from that. So I can imagine there could have been pressure from a Spurs point of view when signing that that new deal that, you know, sign this, it ensures that we get more money for you. You want to do Spurs a favour, but this gentleman's agreement of 
which we believe was we're told was there um that you can go if the offer is right but of course what we've learned is that that probably even if that conversation happened it's not worth its weight and you have to think about the advice that he was given at the time well indeed i must admit lindy i'm not sure if i agree with you about your abhorrence of the idea that individuals should be able to choose when they they leave an organization or not but perhaps that's a personal thing it does leave of course Pep Guardiola <laughs> contracts, in a... that, contracts work for both parties don't they well that no that's true that's true but but yeah I, I mean I remember the old days of pre-Bosman when you know clubs owned yeah. you yeah I mean for people who younger listeners who may not remember or know that in those days before Bosman, you, your contract could expire at a club and the club could still decide whether to sell you or not or, or what sort of transfer fee. It was, you know, at the time everyone was like, well, this Bosman was going to destroy football. But I think it, it, in employment law basis, it probably made a bit of sense. Right. And, 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 and if a club wants to get rid of you, James, yes. midway through your contract and you don't That's want it. to go... Yeah. They will make life hell for you, let yeah. me tell you. And they will shame you until mm. you take a reduced salary payoff to uh, we've seen it hundreds of times anything so you want to tell us about yeah, Arsenal with you <laughs> <laughs> small fry small fry Thank now, like Clark is not leaving on my watch so I meant Anelka <laughs> not Clark I did cancel a contract I did walk away with, with zero zero money once just to get out we so definitely saw that at Sunderland didn't we recently who, who, who was it? it it was um Jack Jack Rodwell wasn't it at Sunderland and I mean even the documentary mm. made a bit of a villain of him for that so yeah you are right from that player's point of view but I mean where what is a contract worth if it isn't worth the paper it's written on well I've done it with a mobile phone contract and I can tell you it feels good just to walk away <laughs> so. right that was the kind of buzz Harry Kane was anticipating this this summer but it's not to be as he put in his tweet this summer so a lot of people wondering whether we can enjoy all of this saga again in the build-up to January, which starts effectively from next Tuesday. Uh, it does, just in the meantime, leave Pep in a pickle. Uh, can he make do with a, a, a squad worth just £952 million pounds with, with a long season ahead? Or is a move for Ronaldo on? I, I, I mean, I feel it's unlikely, but what do you guys think? I think Ronaldo would like it, but I think, you know, the wages he would demand, and I'm sure he would actually demand them, um, would be high. But, you know, as a man who likes round numbers, Ronaldo's on 84 Premier League goals. I think he could get 16 goals for City in a season. And then we can... It's the last thing he needs to do, really, in his career. So, Well, it's an exciting story that no doubt we'll be hearing more about between now and Tuesday and the end of the transfer window. Uh, for now, though, uh, let's crack on with this weekend's fixtures. Uh, yeah. Match day three of the season kicks off Saturday lunchtime at the Etihad as Man City take on Arsenal. Then at three o'clock, Villa Brentford, that's Dean Smith against his old side and former assistant, Brighton Everton, Saints making the long trip up to Newcastle, West Ham, who mullered Leicester on Monday, uh, they'll be hosting Palace, while Leicester themselves look to bounce back away at Norwich. Saturday tea time has some Liverpool-Chelsea with your scones. Sunday, it's Burnley Leeds and Spurs Watford at two. The Spurs game, once again, not televised. And then Wolves hosting Man United at 4.30 to round things off. Crikey. Looking forward to our chat, Lindsay, about Wolves and Man United. But 
You're setting let's, me up again. Let's, For a whole no. season of, of people saying you only talk about wolves. <laughs> but that's so patently not true. Those, I mean, they're oh. just wrong. Yeah. They're just shepherds. <laughs> let's forget an Anfield with Liverpool Chelsea. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Umpers and early markers in the title race at the ready at Anfield on Saturday for the all-Teutonic Klopp Tuchel title tussle. Uh, who's looking forward to this? Me. Mega so. I um, I can't wait for it. I mean, this is the earliest indication I think we get as to whether Chelsea are going to really go for the title this season. Um, I think Liverpool, they're, they're both teams that have kept clean sheets. Uh, there's mm-hmm. them and Brentford because of their goal is drawing the last match as well. So there's only three teams managed to keep two clean sheets. Then you look at the attacking power, you add in Lukaku and how seamlessly he slot in for that first match. And we have got a humdinger on our hands, I think. Oh, absolutely. No, this is going to be a great game. I, I, I was at Emirates for the 2-0 destruction for, from Chelsea on Arsenal. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was a really, really difficult game for Arsenal. And, and seeing them in the flesh, seeing how well-oiled they are, seeing the clever movements of Mount and Havertz, basically dragging Arsenal's players completely out of position and also creating this sort of funnel effect where they created corridors of space for for Chelsea's midfield to pass balls into Romelu Lukaku. It was so clever. And the defending as well, what defending they had to do, they did it really professionally. I was was mega impressed by by Chelsea. And you, you look at their XG across the first couple of games and they've barely given a chance away. And the same did happen at Anfield in the game in March. I think Liverpool's XG was 0.28. So they are capable of playing in these huge games and shutting off the opposition. So so look, for me, I think it's a really even game. I suspect it might be quite cautious because of the you know, ramifications of it. No one will want to lose. But, but Chelsea, for me, are the, are the slightly stronger team, especially in midfield, where where I think that Jorginho, Kovacic, Conte, whichever ones play, um, are more than capable of dominating Liverpool. If you want to know how much football's come on in the last couple of decades, I don't think a big game like this 20 years ago, you'd say it's going to be won or lost from full-backs or wing-backs. But I think, you know, you look at, you know, Trent's been coming inside and almost playing as an auxiliary inside right. Um, Timikas has been great, but you you imagine that they'll, they'll bring Robertson back in because you know Lukaku does drift to the right as well, and I think Robertson will be reliable there. Reese James got the second best expected assist in the Premier League so far this season. As Adrian said, he was just finding so much space at, at Arsenal. I don't think he'll have as much space at Anfield, but you know Chelsea on average are the widest team in the Premier League this season, not physically but spatially. Um, and then Marcus Alonso has got the most chances created from carries in the in the Premier League this season. So it really is it's really interesting to see how different philosophies, different ways of setting up, but you know possibly the two most um, productive defences in in the Premier League. And um, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a really really fascinating match. Having spoken to Antonio Rudiger this week, actually Duncan, and and you think about these defensive setups I thought it was really interesting that his approach to it was we want to be in the opposition's half as much as possible so part of the reason he he puts down to having so many clean sheets 
isn't defending. It's making sure that that you're in the opposition's half as much as possible. That's something that Tuchel's trying to instill. And I thought, well, that's exactly what Klopp is trying to do as well, isn't it? Which makes it such an interesting contrast for these two teams going up against each other because they both want to play in the opposition's half. Yeah, and I think that's been the big strength of Van Dijk coming back is that he he can play passes so well to either flank and that's suddenly made Liverpool's fullbacks really effective again. Um, and Chelsea are going to press really hard and, and Van Dijk is the player you imagine can, can beat that press with, with his passing. So, yeah. Adrian, you were mentioning Chelsea potentially dominating Liverpool's midfield at Anfield. Do you think that Liverpool midfield is going to feature Harvey Elliott again? And if so, how big a test will that be for him? I, I don't think it will. I think, I think even though he's had a good start to the season, I think Fabinho is, is available for this game and I would expect him to walk straight back into the team. But it, it's great to see Harvey Elliott being given a chance. I really liked what he was what he did at Blackburn Rovers last season on loan. He was second only to Emi Brendia for chances created per 90 minutes. He scored seven goals, 11 assists. He's a really exciting sort of midfielder slash wide man. He can play, operate in both roles. So, and it's good to see Klopp giving him, giving him a chance. Um, on Van Dijk, by the way, I completely agree with, the, with those long diagonals. They make such a difference. I think his partnership with Joel Matip is really underrated. I think it, in Klopp's head, it might be his number one partnership. And the stats kind of back it up. They lost their first game together against Swansea way back when, just after Van Dijk signed. And they haven't lost since in 33 games, 25 wins, seven draws. So that is a partnership that Klopp trusts. And uh, I think that's his numero uno. Is, is that not just true of Van Dyke on his own? I mean, could it not be me and Van Dyke, and you'd still have that stat? <laughs> well, I don't know. Liverpool have lost games, haven't they? They have, possibly. yeah. Possibly. Yeah, possibly. I mean, he's got that extraordinary stat of not losing at, at, at Anfield since forever. Basically. games now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an incredible record. I, I just think, yeah, I just think they're a great partnership. You know, obviously both really tall, huge threats from set pieces, and, Va- and yeah, look, Van Dyke's the, the the full package, isn't he? They're going to have a huge tests this Saturday evening, though, against Lukaku, who Adrian, you will have seen, look particularly well suited to to to, to this this Chelsea team and all the other goal threats they've got around him. The big difference in Romelu Lukaku now to, to the player we saw at Manchester United is that Antonio Conte has worked tirelessly with him to become a, a centre-forward that's comfortable receiving the ball with his back to goal. Before, he just wanted to run down the side channels. Now, and we saw this, goodness me, an unbelievable amount of times in the game at Emirates Stadium where he received a pass just with his back to goal and just bounced off Pablo Mari and either the link play or caused a problem. He, he was frightening to see in the flesh. Eight shots, seven inside the box, so many touches inside the final third. And they they created this, this avenue for him. And I think that that will be part of their game plan moving forward, Chelsea. So, yeah, we, we all see him as the missing link. And, and that game highlighted what he's going to bring to the table. All right. Who's, who's going to win then, Sassy? Afternoon, Lindsay. It's because it's at Anfield. I don't think there will be a winner. I think it will be a draw. All right, Duncan. I've gone one-one. Yeah, draw seems sensible, but this fixture does have a lot of away wins in it. Liverpool win at Sanford Bridge quite a lot. Chelsea won quite a few at Anfield. I wouldn't be surprised if Chelsea win actually. Um, 
which it wouldn't be a disaster for Liverpool, but I think it really would boost Chelsea's self-belief for what I think will be a pretty pretty strong title challenge. 1-0 Chelsea or one apiece, that's my prediction. OK, huge game. We haven't even touched on the whole Klopp v Tuchel uh, angle so far, but let me just sum that up. They're both German, they both managed at Mainz and Dortmund, and they'll be facing each other, so... There's that. Well, let's talk about a uh, top v bottom clash that's coming up. Actually, it's the first fixture of the of the weekend. It is Man City against Arsenal, and we'll get on to that next. Ah, the summer was fun, wasn't it? No allegiances, everyone getting behind England, three lions being sung everywhere. But now the Premier League is back. Get Grealish off the bench. Ah, he can stay on it at City. Pickford might have been a safe pair of hands, now he's just a pair. And enough of Jules Rimet dreaming, now it's our turn to dream. So kiss goodbye to that vomit-inducing unity and welcome back proper football. Let's celebrate flair on the grass, not a flare up the... <coughs> Paddy Power! 18plusbegumbleaware.org This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pearce, Ollie Kay and the very best football writers around. With Liverpool and Chelsea facing off, a big chance for the defending champions Man City to roar back to the top of the par. They're at home to Arsenal. Man City, no Harry Kane for them if you're just joining us. But the good news for Pep Guardiola is that the Gunners generally provide a good opportunity to get over any disappointments you may have just had. They've lost all of their last eight meetings with Man City, have the Gunners, uh, in the league at least, uh, and failing to score in seven of those eight matches. Crikey. Adrian, um, Arsenal on two straight defeats. They haven't lost three in a row at the start of the season for 67 years, but they did show signs of life midweek away at West Brom in the League Cup. Obama Young with a hat-trick. They did. It was it was an under-23 team for West Bromwich Albion, so you probably shouldn't take too much stock from it. But it was a great confidence booster for Aubameyang, for Lacazette who came on and looked sharp. Odegaard was good, Saka, Pepe. All these guys will come out of that match feeling better about themselves. But, but look, that match and the Manchester City test are going to be virtually different sports. Uh, it's not going to be the same. Um, so for me, this is all about how Arsenal will approach it. Um, Mikel Arteta has achieved success, albeit maybe not against Manchester City, but he has achieved success in big games against tough opponents by being very cautious, playing a back three, back five and playing on the break. But this season, it seems he set his stall out to to play with a back four and to really press and be assertive and bold and, and, and in his words, be brave. That's great if it works. And if you do that press brilliantly, you can suffocate teams and score goals like Italy did at the Euros. If it doesn't work, the very best teams will will pick you off. And Chelsea did that with unbelievable ease last weekend. And, And if Arsenal adopt the same tactics this time, then I fear that City will as well. So fascinating to see how Mikel Arteta approaches it. Because if he has the courage of his convictions to go the same way again... I worry for what the result could be. Adrian, as our in-house Arsenal man, can you confirm that Arsenal do a goal of the month video in-house? <laughs> because if so, I think that League Cup match has, has prevented some problems. 
<laughs> yes. No, it wasn't. It was looking a little bit bare. The cupboard was was empty, wasn't it? Yeah. So yeah, look, there were some good goals in that game. So look, goal of the month is saved. Um, will they score in this game? <laughs> I, look, they're going to have to play an awful lot better, aren't they? Um, but for, for me, it's about that defensive platform. If if they have one, they've clearly got the forwards that can 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 score a goal. But but without that solid defensive framework, and if the shape gets pulled around, then look, that that plays into City's hands, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, it feels like this sort of game is very suited to Jack Grealish. Actually, this is the sort of match where I think. You know, this is sort of match he'd been brought in for, and he has had good games against Arsenal in the past. And and if Arsenal are being exceptionally tight, he is you know the sort of man that can break those lines. And he's carried the ball further than than anyone else in the Premier League so far this season, seven hundred and thirty nine meters, which is about as far as Peter Elliott used to get in an eight hundred meter race for Athletics fans. So um, yeah, I think I think a hundred million pounds could get you some get you some action against Arsenal this weekend. The player they were willing to spend money on. Mikel Arteta under pressure across as Arsenal boss facing his former side here and his uh, former mentor in Pep Guardiola. And Pep Guardiola himself on Wednesday uh, dropping the kind of interesting bit of news that he's actually leaving Man City at the end of 2023, the end of next season, effectively, when his contract expires. He says he wants to have a bit of a break and he'd like to take charge of a national team. He'd like to train a South American side, playing in a Copper America. I want to have that experience, maybe a European side too. That's what Pep says, which seems fair enough. The, the thing is, though, when managers give a departure date, we've seen it with Sir Alex Ferguson at Man United, with, with, with Sven, perhaps. At, I mean, that's a Lazio example, but you see it time and time again. It does tend to have a pretty immediate effect on the level of commitment and performance from their players. And I'm not sure why that should be, but it, it's a bit of a constant. Are you anticipating that maybe uh, coming into play in Man City season this time around? It can happen. We've seen it before. I think players like to know where they stand. But in reality, does anyone really look beyond the next two years in terms of where, where their future lies? Um, I think that Manchester City have got obviously got a fierce determination to, to win the Champions League. And I think that that will be the two-year focus. They'll go all out for it this year and next year and, and try and do it, do it for Pep. I, I, don't think, I don't think any Manchester City player will presume that they're there for life. You know, because it's a, it's a cutthroat industry and you you can only really work from, from one season to the next. We, we, we know that City are ambitious and they could sign, they could upgrade your position at any moment. So I think the motivation will be there and, and, and Pep will certainly be super mo- motivated to, to go out of a bang, won't he? I have my own theory on why he's said that now and it's because the statue maker is in rich business. We've got Vincent Company coming out, David Silver, and what he's doing is saying, whilst you're there, you might as well get working on this one for 2023, yeah? Leave a, leave a space. <laughs> yes. Plinth me up. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Vincent Company and David Silver, who will be unveiled at the Etihad, or at least in statue form, this uh, weekend ahead, indeed, of the, the game with Arsenal. Has anyone seen the um, the representations of them? Are they, what end no, of the scale are we wait. at? I can't wait. I can't wait. I love seeing a statue unveil. Um, all the ones from where they absolutely 
uh, took the mickey with David Beckham and, and that was all a bit of a stitch up through to the actual real unveilings of like the Ronaldo statue that looked nothing like him. It's something I, I take a lot of pleasure in, in the lightness factor. Um, right. I, I will extensively be, be looking at it as soon as the unveil is revealed. What was the taking the mickey with the David Beckham statue thing, Lindsay? The, it was part of a TV show, wasn't it, where they, when he was out in Los Angeles and they said that they'd done a statue and it, it looked absolutely nothing like him. They break it in front of him, they they knock it over, it smashes and it's all a big setup. a TV camera crew are there. And in true David Beckham style, he handles it brilliantly. Right. Kind of Hollywood beetle. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> all right, lovely stuff. Uh, very, very shortly... Uh, we'll be hearing about the team who are top of the table currently. That's the Hammers. First, though, this. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. With Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Think of it as your protection against Arsenal doing an Arsenal. And in the words of Jennifer Aniston, here comes the science bit. Pre-match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet is £10. Enhanced match odds are not included. Online exclusives only. T's and C's apply. And please be gambleaware.org. Back to the Premier League then. And the team that's currently top of the table for the first time in 15 years are West Ham. A reminder that when David Moyes was reappointed to West Ham in December 2019... Uh, a voice on this pod declared, oh my God, having to appoint David Moyes to save your season once is careless. Having to do it twice is negligent. Well, fair to say the mood very different these days, especially after Monday night's barnstorming win under the lights over Leicester, which is now being hailed as the greatest game ever played, brackets, at the London Stadium. Was it that special? Well, one man who was there is the Athletics' Rashane Thomas, who joins us now. Rashane. Good morning. And by the way, whoever said that about David Moyes deserves a yellow card, that's an absolute bookable offence, Matt. That is a bookable offence. <laughs> we, we all say that now, but what were you saying back in December 2019? <laughs> I was optimistic. I thought, you know what, right now in terms of who's available, can't see anyone better than David Moyes, to be fair. He was free. Not like the club had to get another manager, another big-name manager, to try and fix things. He needed someone who was experienced, someone who knew the squad. Uh, the right man was David Moyes in his first game in charge. One of the biggest home wins, four in a win over Bournemouth. And obviously, ever since then, things have been amazing for the club. So looking back now, it's definitely the uh, right decision to bring him back. Why do you think they have been, or he has been, so much more effective in the second spell there than in the first iteration? It's more so building a team that supporters can relate to. So you've got the likes of Declan Rice doing amazing, Mikel Antonio's likeable personality, recruiting well, and Thomas Solchak and Vladimir Safal. Supporters can relate to his team, whereas before you had expensive signings, the likes of Felipe Anderson, uh, Sebastian Allaire, Simon Azri on the three, who was, he wasn't really pulling their weight in West Ham shirts. So now supporters can relate to them, whether it's Declan Rice's story in terms of not making that at Chelsea and doing great things at 
West Ham or Mikel Antonio coming through humble beginnings at Tottenham Mitchum and doing great things at West Ham. The average man in the street is going to have struggles in life. The average woman in the street is going to have struggles in life. And we're seeing that in terms of his team that's been put together. They've all had different hurdles along the way and supporters can relate to that. So I feel like that's definitely one thing that Moyes has been able to build. And the team is likeable. It's a very likeable team. We saw it on Monday in uh, Mikel Antonio's post-match interview and <laughs> just talking about breaking the record, part of the Canyons record that is, and his goal celebrations. It's such a likeable team, whereas before, as I mentioned, you had big egos, players who felt like they were better than everyone else, the likes of Dimitri Payet, to a lesser extent Marko Anatovic, whereas now you've got Savalima Safal, who's a fan favourite, who's clapping everyone as the last player to leave on Monday, or Thomas Solcek, who's like, he loves potato salad. It's just such a likeable team. Mm. Yeah, it's good that you got rid of the big egos and now have players who lift up cardboard cutouts of themselves and then give themselves <laughs> a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was a, it was a, a charming moment from a charming uh, player. Although I see that he tweeted that he actually got the the name of the film wrong. He'd said in the interview with Sky that he was referencing uh, the 2001 MTV funded teen dance uh, drama Save the Last Dance, but it was of course Roshan. Oh, Dirty Dancing, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, apparently he said, score the goal, make history, nail the celebration, got the film name wrong in the interview. That was Mikel Antonio's tweet afterwards. So um, Monday night, I mean, you were playing a side with 10 men, but they're calling it the best performance by West Ham, certainly at the London Stadium ever. What did you think? I, I agree with that. It was one of the best home games I've been to at London Stadium. It was that good. The game finished around roughly 10-ish. I left the ground at 11.30. It was a Stratford station and fans are still singing the Antonio chart. I'm forever blowing bubbles. We're going to win the league. I missed two games into the season. So everyone was just on a high throughout that match. Uh, the atmosphere was brilliant. It really was. Because prior to that, the away trip at Newcastle, I thought the atmosphere was really good. But it was just a different level in terms of the match against Leicester on Monday. Fans just singing. At half time, we have this quiz called Hammer It Out. And like, it's a new feature they're doing, just questions on like, the amount of games Mark Noble's played or the amount of goals Antonio scored for West Ham. And fans are going, oh, I didn't get it right. Oh, yeah, I got it correct. Like, that never happened before. <laughs> that never happened. Usually fans are going to get their, like, £10 hot dog. So the fact that they're staying behind and, you know, interacting with stuff like that is just amazing. And I honestly feel, for the first time on Monday, it felt like home. The London Stadium felt like home and it felt like a stadium that supporters could be like, you know what? I need, to, I need to spread the word. I need to spread the word and tell people to come here because the atmosphere is so good. So long may it continue because for the first time in a long while, it felt like Upton Park. Roshane, as well, as someone who watched the Europa League campaign with Wolves as well, I mean, the one thing to say is that you don't get leggy, do you, if you're winning? If you carry on as you are, there's never, ever any mention of of the the schedule or people getting tired and needing breaks and needing rests. I think you're fine as long as you carry on on the, the trajectory you're on. It's when you start losing. That's when European football comes into play. Mm. For sure. And obviously, as you touched on, winning breeds confidence and players are more determined to, to stay in the team. Whereas previously, especially on the Pellegrini, when the team weren't winning, it's still the same team pretty much. So to an extent, players knew they could not put in a 10 out of 10 and they'll be in the same start 11. Whereas now, if Bo's not on it, and that's someone else coming, whether it's Yarmolenko or maybe a, a player from the youth team. Players know, especially not West Ham, they have to do it. <laughs> Yarmolenko is going to be pleased that he's, he's been mentioned in the same <laughs> breath as the youth team. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. So they have to give it all, no matter what. I wrote a piece recently about uh, the pre-season in Penny Hill Park. Uh, we have this new drill, right? The shooting drill. 
So Moyes passes to the player and we all have to score. But whoever doesn't score, they have to collect all the balls. And like some of the players will kick the balls into the trees, into the woods, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. So again, it just shows that determination and fighting spirit in the team. Excellent. The draw for the Europa League is coming up on Friday, Rashane. Then uh, we have the aforementioned Crystal Palace on the weekend at the London Stadium. Palace, the only team in the top four divisions of English football yet to score a goal in any competition this season. Are you looking forward to this game? For sure. Should be well, another, another home game. The likes of Four Niles, I'm sure, want to continue his good form. Sai Ben Rama, he's been like a new signing. He's going to want to continue his form as well. It should be a really good one. And you just want to keep that winning spirit, keep winning games. I think Moyes' message to the players should be, let's win as many matches as we can before the Europa League starts. Because as a touchdown, it's going to be very difficult trying to balance the whole Thursday Sunday schedule. So win as many games as you can. And yeah, as we touched on, winning breeze confidence. The youth team, they're also doing well. They're learning locks from the likes of Declan Rice, Mark Noble and others. So it should be another good home game. I'm sure when fans are on their way to the, sta- uh, to the station, rather, they'll be singing Antonio, Declan Rice and all the other chants. So it really is a positive time right now to be a, to be a West Ham fan. It really is. So long may it continue. Rashane Thomas of The Athletic on why nobody puts West Ham in the corner. I would definitely buy all the albums by a band called Yarmolenko and the Youth Team. 100%. Um, that, by the way, that, that celebration from Antonio, it could mm. only work with fans in the stadium. I was there mm. and I saw him go over to the bench before the game started and pointed down at, at what clearly was the cardboard cutout, but I couldn't see it from my seat. But I thought he's got something up his sleeve here Like if this happens. Never in my wildest dreams did I expect the routine that was before me <laughs> and caught by the cameras. But the, I think because the fans were there, it actually made it pretty epic. Yeah, it would have been bizarre in, a, in an empty stadium. But just to clarify that, he, that wasn't a, a cardboard cutter that was standing around and he noticed it and thought, oh, let's have a laugh. He'd brought it along specifically yes. for that moment when he became West Ham's Gave record Premier League goalscorer. Gave instructions to the bench to whip it out as quick as possible when that happens. And it wasn't going well. In the first half, he was trying too hard. And I think everyone could see that. And I think David Moyes had had a word in his ear at halftime to say, just play your game. You're really just going to town on trying to to get this celebration in. (laughs) Also, Moyes post-game, the the look he gave when asked about Antonio's celebration, (laughs) not a fan of uh, of choreography. The key question is, did he commission a cardboard cutout for himself or did he steal it? Has he nicked it from somewhere? You know, I the, think the, he's the commissioned it, in the store. Commissioned, yeah. commissioned, I reckon. <laughs> you know, okay. it, it, there's obviously a gap somewhere now that, that, that doesn't have a cardboard cutout of Antonio. Um, Unless so, he's commissioned. Yeah. It's quite easy to do. You must have done it, Adrian, no? Have you, is it, am I the only one who's commissioned a life-size cardboard cutout for the home use? Really? Okay. Yeah. We'll move on. Do you on. kiss yours? Anyway. Sorry, what? Do I kiss mine? Do you kiss yours? <laughs> Do I kiss mine? <laughs> Listener, you're asking us to move on. And I think you're right. Leicester. <clears throat> Leicester. Lindsay, a quick question, though, about Monday night since you were there. Uh, Leicester going down to 10 men with the red card for Iosi Paris. Was that the key thing in the game, or were West Ham just way better? And are you, I mean, what, what conclusions would you draw about that from a Leicester point of view? 
It changed the game, but West Ham were on top before that happened. West Ham were the better side. I have no doubts they would have gone on to win that game. Not perhaps by the margin they did, but they were better. The explanations afterwards, I spoke to Tielemans, and I know that Brendan Rodgers said something similar, was that they felt Iosi Perez was fouled in the lead-up and he didn't go to ground. Now, it's interesting to bring this back to Adrian as from a player's point of view that he tried to stay on his feet and by doing that took a wider berth to get his balance back and that's when he did the stamp now slowed down it looks awful my gut instinct at the time in real play was it was a yellow and then I think with 60,000 West Ham fans causing the commotion and the noise that they had that we haven't heard for so long at London Stadium as soon as it was referred to the monitor I had no hesitation he was going to go and I think Mm. there wasn't any question mark when it was slowed down from any of the Leicester team that it looked bad but they felt that something was missed in in the build-up. Well Leicester will be without him for this weekend's trip to Carrow Road they'll be taking on Norwich Saturday at three. Norwich by the way, two seasons ago when they were up in the Premier League, took four points off Brendan Rodgers' Leicester. Uh, they've had a tough start fixture-wise, but they have been busy on the... Tra- well, they are busy in the, the, the transfer market. They've signed Man United left-back Brandon Williams on loan, and they are in talks, apparently, with Real Betis over the signing of our old friend Portuguese international midfielder William Carvalho. Welcome back, William Carvalho, to Transfer Talk. Who are they going to go for next? Wesley Schneider. <laughs> the two guys that played in midweek, Josh Sargent, the American international, and Christos uh, Zolis, the Greek international, they were brilliant by all accounts. So be interesting to see if they start. And look, let's face it, if Norwich are at it in, a, in inside the final third, mm. this Leicester team are not defending well at the moment, outshot. 19 to 5 by West Ham, outshot at home to Wolves, 17 to 9. They look shaky, and I think it's a good time to play Leicester. Norwich had a 6 0 win Tuesday in the Carabao Cup over Bournemouth. In fact, there was a bit of a feature of the Carabao Cup second round. Premier League teams absolutely whomping sides from the Football League. The record was uh, played 9, won 9, drew none, lost none, scored 40 goals conceded to Jordan Lever indeed writing about the League Cup says would now be a good time to consider scrapping the Carabao Cup or would that harm lower league clubs too much for context four teams this week conceded more goals than San Marino did against England at Wembley in March yeah but as Adrian touched upon earlier this is the strange thing now the Carabao Cup like a lot of the Premier League teams are playing strong teams because they need to give some game time and also maybe struggling whereas the the EFL teams often like well we're not going to win the Carabao Cup let's put out the under 23s or the reserves or the B team so that I think that's the reason why there were so many huge discrepancies in in the scores this week but mm-hmm. I think I like I like the League Cup I think you get around to the semi-finals you have those two legs it's like a nice little Midwinter treat. So um, yeah, I know that some of the early rounds can can drag a little bit, but I think I think it's good. Wickham in the third mm. round, Duncan. Week uh, commencing yeah. September the twentieth. Who have you drawn? Um, Manchester City away, who have won the League Cup every year since nineteen twenty seven. So, um, <laughs> but I mean, we wonder why Pep. Well, Pep's happy to re- to reveal a, a leave date. Well, Wickham beat City home and away in League what is now League One in uh, 98-99 um, and that has ra- that has 
you know, haunted City for a long time. So I think he's now got a chance to avenge that um, and move on to manage. Guatemala. I wish I'd jumped in when you said that has zero bearing, is what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, Lindsay. Players will be feeling the weight of that history. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Lindsay, your last game, I say your, but Wolves' last game, was a 4 0 win at Forest as part of that. You know, excellent Premier League record against sides from other divisions. 4-0 at Forest on Tuesday. And coming up this Sunday, you've got Man United. So it's a timely moment to get a, a win and some goals because 0 for 2 in the league and, and, and no goals scored as yet. Uh, there, there must have been some worried faces, I imagine, at Molyneux. I don't think they are worried faces. I think um, that has been the only thing that has been missing. Is And of course, it's an important part of the game. <laughs> we need the goals. Um, but that seal has now been broken, courtesy of Nottingham Forest. Thank you very much. And it, Bottom it of the might... championship, Nottingham Forest. Well, you know, however it comes, as long as you can spark the fact that this team are able to show that they can get it in the back of the net. They've done that. And I think that doesn't bode well for Manchester United because Wolves have played brilliantly. Um, anyone who hasn't paid too much attention, they've dominated in the games against Leicester and Spurs. What we don't want is a habit to develop that you're dominating games but coming off with, with zero points. Potentially now off the back of the League Cup, because we've had players like Trincao, Morgan Gibbs-White, Den Donker scoring, it wasn't just the same people either. I... I honestly hope that that it all clicks. It's going to click against someone, James. That that would be my observation so far, is someone will have three or four put past them when it does click. Right. The underlying stats are impressive. You've had the second most shots in the Premier League in the two games so far. Only Liverpool have, had more, have created more chances. Wolves have made the most tackles in the Premier League this season as they adjust to life under Bruno Large. What's the fans' view now on Adama Traore? Lindsay, who who seemed a little bit like a living football cheat code when he first broke through, but since then, <laughs> how close are we to unlocking that potential? He is the difference maker, but unfortunately, it doesn't always result in him making the right final decision. So what he can do is he can turn over play very well. He's a great outlet ball, and um, the pace. I mean. Honestly, I don't think there is anyone, Kyle Walker included, that can keep up with him because when he turns it on, it is a different level. And and up close, when you're in the stadium watching that, you see that at full steam and, it, and it's incredible. But there has to be an end product to it. I think if he was to go to somewhere like Spurs, which has been rumoured, and of course linking up with Nuno probably would make sense at some point. What what Wolves have to ensure and what Bruno Large has to ensure is that he gets that creative outlet player because without him, there would be a big, big gap. And with Neto as well being put back further, so he won't be returning until around February because there's been a setback in his injury and recovery. I don't think there are any other players really that are going to provide for the likes of Jimenez. So it, it's dangerous, I think, for him to go at the moment. But he is a, he can be a frustrating player equally. I wasn't sure whether the Spurs move was prospectively with money they'd be receiving for, for Harry Kane, but uh, potentially that's still uh, a, a live story as we head into the final days of the, the transfer window. Uh, Man United in this fixture looking to set a new record for the longest unbeaten away run in English top flight history. This would be 28 matches without defeat on the road, which would be Arsenal's old record. 
It, it would be a new record, but would anyone really care? It doesn't feel like a, an important mm. record somehow. Yeah, no. it is impressive, but yeah, it's just one of those things that sort of ticks by. So, Right. What, why why does nobody care? Is it because they feel Man United's ambition should be loftier, or is it the fact that there weren't fans in stadiums for a great portion of that period? Yeah, I think that definitely skews it. And also, you know, as we know, a lot of those have been comeback points or, or wins, and it, it doesn't really... With the Arsenal one, it formed part of that invincible story, and it was it was a team that was at the peak of their powers, and I don't think this United team are that yet. Um, but, yeah, you know, take records where you can. I mean... You know, there's a lot of clubs, fans of a lot of clubs that would love to go, you know, eight games unbeaten away from home, let alone 27 or 28. So. Mm. Fair enough. All right. In a second, we'll check on the other things happening this weekend. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Big game at the Amex, everyone. Brighton against Everton. That's three o'clock Saturday. Adrian, what has happened to Brighton? Three wins out of three. Scoring goals. Duncan, give us that stat about shots and, and, and goal conversion. Uh, well, they've they've let from about 8% conversion rate last season, which was the worst in the Premier League, up to 14, which is pretty good. And at one point during the Watford game, they'd scored with four of their last seven shots in the Premier League, which for Brighton is is extraordinary. Adrian, what's happened to Brighton? <laughs> yeah, very strong. A strong start. I think their set piece deliveries and executions have been outstanding. They've, they've, looked, they've looked magnificent from those. They look like they might score every time they have a corner or a wide free kick. Shane Duffy, by the way, is right up there among the, the highest shot takers in the Premier League so far this season. He's had seven. And for a centre-half to have seven attempts on goal in two games, is, I think that tells its own story. They've got issues at fullback. I mean, it's not the perfect team. They haven't really got a fullback at the moment. They've got Solly March at left-back. They've got Adam Webster at right-back. Um, Bissouma, I think, has been just ridiculous. Are oh, they going to um, hold so on good. to him? Well, why isn't anybody signed Eve Bissouma? 
I don't understand why a number of teams haven't haven't bid for him. He's he's a wonderful all round midfielder. The assist the other day where he went and closed down the player and nicked the ball was was outstanding. But he does a lot more than that. He's quality in possession. Um, he breaks into the box. He's got great energy. I think he would be a wonderful signing for for a number of teams that that have loftier ambitions than than Brighton. So um, yeah, it, that that is. A mystery, but we might find out more in, in the coming days, of course. My favourite bargain buy of the whole transfer window is in this fixture, but on the Everton team, Damari Gray. I mean, I still have to... I thought they made a mistake when they put 1.5 million. <laughs> I thought they meant 15 million and someone had missed out a dot. <laughs> yeah, it's true, actually. 1.5 million is like a heritage transfer. It's like, what, they just signed Tony Cotty or something? But, um, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> But Everton are fitting into what I call the the jam Nutella uh, theory, which is where you've had jam for ages. Suddenly Nutella tastes really nice, and vice versa. So under under Ancelotti, Everton were were comfortable in possession, but weren't really creating much many chances. They've leapt up right. this season. Only Burnley have had fewer kind of passing sequences than Everton. But Everton are having like seven shots on target a game, up from like about four last season. So Benitez has made them a lot more direct. You know, players like Damari Gray, Andros Townsend have made them just, you know, a bit more of a kind of effective direct team. And I think that's OK because it's a different from last season when it was not much fun. Indeed. Jam yesterday in, in, in the time-honoured uh, phrase. The top of the fouls charts now under under uh, Rafa Benitez, unlike their previous situation under cuddly Carlo Angelotti, where they were much more of a friendly, amiable, Hammers Rodriguez stroking it around. It's all changed now. He was in on Twitch last weekend saying he didn't know who his team were playing. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I saw that. I mean it was all in, in, in it wasn't in English, was it? So I did have a little nosy at it and he's just talking at the camera, isn't he? I'm I'm quite new to Twitch. Yeah, it was it's a bit random. The writing's on the wall for him. But in going back to your point about the aggression, foot football's an aggressive game and you have to impose yourself on the other team. Mm. And if you're not the most skillful team in the Premier League you have to do everything else better than everybody else, don't you? You have to do the tackles. You have to do the closing down. You have to be really efficient on those transitions. So I think Rafa is going about his work really well. On, on Damari Gray, great start, but he's he's been around for a while, right? He's never, ever had more than five direct goal involvements in a season. That's a goal and assist. So he's never had more than five. So... Don't get your hopes up is probably the, 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 the message. Is he like a kind of Adama Traore figure? In, fa- in his defence, he's never been a regular like Adama Traore. Mm. I think he is hardworking. He is direct. He, he can torment fullbacks. But yeah, it's just the end product, isn't it? It's that final finish. It's that final cross. He frustrates. And um, yeah, look... If he if he can jump out of that rut this season and and you know score and create bundles of goals, good luck to him. But recent history suggests that that probably won't happen. Brighton, can they continue their perfect start? The Toffees haven't won in four previous trips to the Amex. They haven't won at any Brighton venue since April 1983, when "Let's Dance" by David Bowie was number one. Just to give that a little bit of historical perspective. Different times. All right. Hey, Rafa Benitez's old side, Newcastle, will be hosting Southampton. They've had a rotten start, the Magpies. Two defeats out of two. Got knocked out of the League Cup on penalties against Burnley on Wednesday. 
Sam Maximan and Albinon both missing in the shootout as well. Southampton, by contrast, 8-0 winners. 8-0 against um, Newport. Not nine, is it? Yeah, they almost found out what it feels like. They, and <laughs> There's no way that wasn't going through their heads. Finally payback, but they came up short. Well, this fixture actually should be the only fixture in the Premier League this season where a man who has played in a 9-0 manages against a team that have lost two 9-0s. So, there you go, 9-0 fans, you're sorted. Steve Bruce doesn't help himself, though, does he sometimes? I mean, I often have a bit of sympathy for his situation. Not at the breakfast week... buffet, perhaps, Lindsay, but otherwise, <laughs> just... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was, yeah. Yeah, a harvester. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah th- this week, the way that he he went on record to say how much he'd like to win a League Cup and he was going to field a really strong team. And then you get an obscene amount of fans that turn up, even in the circumstances of being disgruntled for a League Cup midweek game. You have to side with the fans on this occasion because they've been sold a promise. And, you know, you don't you're not forced to say these things. You can say, you know, the the absolute priority is just staying in the Premier League. And unfortunately, that means that our squad depth uh, take away some maximum from the starting 11, Wilson, Willock, which all were missing for, for the start of this game. And we're not left with that much, so we can't promise that we're going to deliver uh, despite last season's efforts. I feel for them because they all went, they turned out, they're expecting to see more from their team in these cup competitions and they're out in round two. Well, indeed, indeed. Saints, coming back to this weekend's game, have lost all of their last four visits to St James's Park. Must be a bit miserable because it's a long way back home uh, after that. Longest trip in Premier League, actually. Uh, Elsewhere this weekend, at Villa Park, former Brentford boss Dean Smith up against his former assistant Thomas Frank as Aston Villa take on the Bees. Brentford are unbeaten and yet to concede a goal in the Premier League. Uh, Daniel Storey, shyly positing in his The Eye Monday column that Brentford might be this season's leads. What do the metrics say about that? Well... Leeds last year led the way in the Premier League for tackles made. Brentford currently first. Uh, Marcelo Bielsa's Leeds also last season with the most effective team at pressuring opponents. Led the way in, I'm quoting Daniel here, successful pressures. Number of times they won the ball back within five seconds of applying pressure. And Leeds are currently uh, on top in that category at the moment as well. What do you think? Is it ridiculously uh, small sample size? Or do you, do you, feel, do you get that vibe about... Brentford. Um, no, I think Daniel Daniel knows his onions and he knows his West London, uh, West Yorkshire comparisons. And yeah, I think it's fair enough. It's quite. I think it's an interesting game this because obviously there are, there are quite a lot of links as you, as you mentioned between the two clubs. Um, it occurred to me this week that if Ollie Watkins comes back, um, obviously against his former club, but I think that partnership, if they do play him and Ings, is both really promising and. It could be a really good hybrid name because you could call them what kings, what what kings, and that could be their like you know like you know forget having the BBC or the It's not as catchy as you think. As I said, we could call them what kings. No, what kings? (laughs) That I'm I'm trademarking that. So yeah, it's happening. Okay, I like it. 
Lovely. I, I personally, James, I don't. I don't think Brentford are as good as Leeds were. I, I genuinely don't. I don't mean that in, with any disrespect. I think that they've had a good, solid start to the season. Tactically, they'll be astute because Thomas Frank is a smart guy. Um, but yeah, I think I think the aggression side of it is is going to be is is where they've focused it so far. They're looking to to you know upset teams and disturb them. I just think against top quality opposition that might be limiting for them and uh, yeah I, I think that this will be a close game tight game but I would back Villa to maybe edge it especially if what Kings line up front <laughs> uh, line up, up up front together hey that's um, catchy Adrian but, is that a new buzz phrase I like it yeah yeah I just made it up uh, nice. do you like it the, um, what they do they're going much more direct in the championship they play great football I think in the Premier League they're going to get it up to Tony and Embremo and and ask them to to wreak havoc and and they're capable, but it's yeah I, I think that they'll be bottom half. In the words of Junior Soprano, hit Tony. Don't, don't spoiler. Oh and yeah, no, that's from season one. Well, I'm on season yeah. three, so be very careful. I'd agree with Adrian, actually. I, I feel that in the amount of marketing and sort of brand chats I've been in recently then we can call Brentford the disruptors of the Premier mm. League. Nice. And not this season's leads. Last season's leads, and, and still this season's leads effectively, I think they would argue, are going to be away at Burnley. That's two o'clock on Sunday. That's the game that the TV Supremos have chosen to put on air in place of uh, Spurs and their clash with Watford, which I feel... Hashtag quotes. You know, with all that. Yeah. Anyway, Burnley leads. Leeds winning this fixture 4 0 uh, last season at Turf Moor. Duncan? Well, will we hear Turf Moor is a tough place to go at any point this weekend? I hope not, because no. they've lost their last five there. And uh, as you said, Leeds won there handsomely last year. It's Burnley's worst run of form at home since the picture of Dorian Gray came out. And you do wonder if behind the scenes uh, there's more problems at Burnley than, than teams. Well, perhaps in their attic, there's a really, really successful at home, Burnley. That would be the kind of yeah. The parallel. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, let's snub that fixture for the game that's taking place at the same time, but not receiving any airtime, which is Spurs-Watford. Kane's staying, everybody. Do Watford have a good record with Spurs, Adrian? I don't know. They don't. The answer. They don't. They've won <laughs> only one of their last 18 meetings with Tottenham in all competitions. They haven't won away at Spurs in the league since Paul Hardcastle's 19 was number one. Do you know when that was? No, 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 you remember 19. that? Yeah. yeah, can you name the year that, that 19 was number one? Uh, I, I think that was 85. It was 85, it? yeah, May 85. <laughs> the right. average age of a West Brom lineup in the Carabao Cup is 99. <laughs> Didn't really know what was going on. Wasn't really sure what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> Watford, I think, are going to be incredibly reliant on Ismail Assar. Everything that, that, that they do seems to come via him. So if he can be shackled, I shackled. think that, that Watford can be tamed. Um, that They got promoted, basically, because they were unbelievably compact at home. They barely gave a goal away. Clean sheets for fun. But in the Premier League, I just don't believe that they're going to... that the, their personnel is good enough to keep clean sheets for fun. And, and that means that they're going to need to score multiple goals to win games. And 
I think it's going to be really difficult for them. They did it against Villa, of course. Fair play. That was a, a tremendous start. But in general, in games like this, I just don't fancy them. I think this might be a routine win for Spurs. All right. We'll see, Adrian. Will the Hornets spoil the Harry Kane Spurs reunion party? That'll be coming up uh, Sunday at 2 o'clock, although no, you can't watch it on TV. But we will be uh, reporting on it in Sunday night's Totally Football Show, which will be available for you as ever on Monday morning. That's the weekend. Uh, Lindsay, you've got to leave us now because you're off to do the offside rule. Is that right? I am, yes. Thank you for that. I've um, I've got back-to-back pods today. Woof. And when when's that going to be out? It will be out later today. Great. All right. Well, uh, looking forward to that. Uh, the rest of us very shortly will be wrapping up this uh, edition of the Totally Show with, well, you know what, with Arsenal having a bit of a miserable time of, it of late and facing Man City next, we wanted to finish off with some positive thoughts for Gunner supporters. So we had to make some stuff up. So we're doing a special flip reverse and that's coming up in a second or two. First of all, though, let's get some odds from Paddy Power with producer Charlie. Welcome, listener. I am indeed joined by Carl Monaghan from Paddy Power. Another Premier League weekend is upon us. How exciting and how exciting it was on Monday. West Ham did Leicester. Can they do a Leicester? Carl, is this the perfect time to be lumping on David Moyes' side to be champions? <laughs> Keep your hair on, Charlie. Listen, I agree that there was a fair bit to be impressed from the Hammers on Monday night. Absolutely. They look a slight upgrade on last year as a collective. Hats off to David Moyes and huge for them, Charlie, if they can hold on to Declan Rice for another season as well. West Ham are 75-1 to to do a Leicester and lift the title, Charlie, to answer your question. But I think there could be more value in backing them to get into the top four around 15-2 to or even a top six finish at 11-4. to Next up for West Ham is Crystal Palace. Palace are yet to win so far this season under Patrick Vieira. So it will be the informed Hammers that will be in Manny Zanaka this weekend, Charlie. The Hammers are odds-on to win the encounter at 8-15. The draw is 14-5 and Palace are 5-1. Now we know Mikel Antonio is high off his own supply at the moment with three in his last two and he jumps off the page for first goal score at 16-5. Also boasting two wins out of two, Brighton, Spurs, Liverpool and Chelsea. Those last two ring a bell and they meet on Saturday. Liverpool v Chelsea, Klopp v Tuchel. Your thoughts please, Carl. Well, Charlie, Liverpool are slight favourites at 6-4 to four after a decent-looking start, but it's mainly for two reasons. Why? Well, the fans are back first off in full voice at Anfield, and Big Virgil is back at the back. The game pits Klopp and Tuchel against each other, both modern German coaches in high demand with very similar CVs. Saturday's game also sees the battle between Lukaku and Van Dijk, a real heavyweight clash that is sure to whet the appetite. Lukaku put in a bulldozing display at Arsenal last Sunday and got up and running with the goal. He's 4-1, to one, Charlie, for the first goal in that game, and that will be hugely popular with punters this weekend. But if you're feeling brave, Charlie, you can back Chelsea at 9-5. to five. Tuchel's men look the real deal so far and will fancy their chances of winning that midfield battle. It's also not a distant memory beating the Mersey signers at Anfield back in March for them. So this has all the makings of a cracker. And remember, Charlie and listeners, Burnley fielding a team last weekend with exact numbers 1 through to 11. That might have been very satisfying. Old school is cool. But so is getting your money back if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Listener, you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only, terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Oh, I love the way you work it.
blazing squad are flow of history disrespecting pop buddies back with their anthem to chronal meddling flip reverse it and today listener we are going to flip reverse all the way back to the 6th of april 2004 arsenal were facing chelsea in the champions league quarterfinals 87 minutes in it's 1-1 after goals from jose antonio reyes and frank lampard but then Wayne Bridge's late goal stuns Arsenal and sends Chelsea into the Champions League semi-final. Wayne Bridge, Ida Goodjohnson, it's Bridge, it's in, it's Chelsea's night. But what would have happened if Bridge hadn't scored? Duncan Alexander picks up the story. This is one of the key moments of modern uh, football history. I think this is where the everything we now know about football just revolves around this moment. Because if you know, if Arsenal go on, the Invincibles win the Champions League to go alongside their Premier League. I think uh, you know much changes. And I think having cranked up the flip reverse machine, that it changes a little bit like this. Okay, so Arsenal beat Chelsea. Chelsea immediately dismiss Claudio Ranieri because um, they're fuming. They, for some reason, they place him with Arrigo Sacchi, which is nice because that also describes their general attitude to managerial employment. So then Arsenal face Monaco in the semi-finals. Now in real life, obviously Chelsea kind of messed it up in the second leg with some strange uh, personnel choices. Um, Wenger's not going to do that. He knows his strongest team. Uh, he also knows the quickest way through the car park to the stadium, having been their manager. So that saves a bit of energy, which it all helps at this level. So that leads on to the Champions League final 2004. It's Arsenal against Porto, uh, Wenger against Mourinho. Arsenal just unplayable. Um, all of Mourinho's tricks aren't working. In fact, he gets so angry, Mourinho, um, as Arsenal go three up, that Wenger just does his sort of classic Wenger smirk. And Mourinho just loses the plot. He calls Wenger a specialist in provocation. He fronts up to him. He's, ha- he's pulled off by the fourth official. It's a disgrace. Um what happens that summer is really important because Mourinho in real life obviously then went to Chelsea, but his reputation right now is in tatters. People are like he he lost the plot in this in this uh, fictional Champions League final, so he gets a phone call from his old boss Bobby Robson. He says, "Can you come up to Newcastle? I need a bit of translation and a bit of coaching." Mourinho's like, "All right, this is a good opportunity just to go off grid for a bit and and kind of rebuild." So he does that. But, as happens in real life, Newcastle start really badly and the board sack Bobby Robson. But instead of appointing Graham Souness, which, you know, um, they go, well, let's just get Mourinho. I know he's, you know, the summer and all that, but let's get Mourinho in. So Mourinho assumes control. He's not known as the special one. He's called Toon Mourinho um, because he's in Newcastle. He doesn't win the league in 2004-05 because he's not a magician, but... He doesn't sign Michael Owen in summer 05, but he goes on to win the Premier League with Newcastle in 05-06. All looks to be going perfectly. Mourinho, Newcastle, you know, big Champions League bid in 06-07. But then what happens? The most famous event in North East history happens in December 2006. It's the final episode of Biker Grove where they broke the fourth wall. And all the characters realised they were fictional and that everything is scripted and TV show and they were literally frozen. Mourinho is caught up in that same process, a complete loss of free will and a realisation that everything in football is scripted and everything is preordained by a higher force and all your personality traits are written by someone else. And he also finds out that in 10 years' time, Ranieri is going to win the Premier League with Leicester and it just it breaks him. And it also really messes up that season's edition of Premiership Years. So a bit existential, but that is probably what could have happened. 
Yeah, it's entirely convincing. Uh, Adrian, uh, within that, and it did escalate quickly, within that, there are some... (laughs) There are some really interesting ramifications of that Wainbridge goal. I don't know if Ranieri gets gets fired if he doesn't blow it in the sec- in the second leg of the semi-final against Monaco. But would you go along with the notion that Arsenal that season looked like the likeliest winners of the Champions League? Absolutely, I would. Yeah, that that Arsenal team should have won the Champions League, shouldn't it? And 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 if they'd have won the Champions League. It gets that monkey off their back, and it, it elevates them even further into a into a true, true European powerhouse. And they clearly would have gone on to to dominate and to and to sign, you know, many many world class players. And, and and Wenger would have gone down in history as as the greatest manager English football's ever seen, instead of Alex Ferguson, because Arsenal would have would have gone on and and won numerous back to back titles. Clearly, and what do you think would have been what would would have become of this Portuguese manager who, at the time, two thousand and four, wasn't known as the special one. Well, we know. wasn't known as pre- pretty much anything for 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 a lot of people in <laughs> people in in the UK. What, do you go along with this? It's a fascinating prospect. Him rejoining Sir Bobby Robson at Newcastle. I think he quits football. He's disillusioned, and he becomes um, an incredible TV pundit, and he becomes the face of of, of, of Sky Television. And, and he, he blocks the pathway to Gary Neville. There is no Gary Neville on Sky. Jose Crikey. Mourinho is the, is the is the is the figurehead. He is the main man because he's great TV. But he, he loses his love for management. That's maybe what would have happened. I don't know. All right. Well. Tell you what, the lesson I draw from this is tinker with Wayne Bridge goals from 2004 at your peril <laughs> because there is absolutely no end to the Gabriel Garcia Marquez esque ramifications of your thoughtless actions. All right, Duncan, just one final note by the way that Biker Grove thing that actually happened. Yeah, a series which you know was about teenagers and you know usual issues that they faced decided to end on the most existential fourth wall smashing thing with dinosaurs and spaceships. So I mean, you know, go out in style, I guess. But um, right, an odd bit of TV. Yeah. Okay. Go back and and check that out. That brings us to the end of today's show. I'm going to address you directly, listener, smashing the fourth wall as UFOs <laughs> fly around my head. Many thanks to Lindsay, who was with us before, and producer Charlie, and to Duncan and to Adrian, and you, listener. I'm reaching out to you. Uh, we'll be back on Monday. Do hope you'll be joining us then, and that you have a lovely weekend in the meantime. Cheerio. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app, and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.